0: Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Those are verses 17 through 19 of Psalm 119, the first 24 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, July the 7th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and my name is John Green. Thank you for being with me today. Continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel, in the book of Acts, as well as the gospel according to Luke. So we're, we're continuing to go through this. It feels like I've talked about or preached about this story of um, the anointing of David about 500 times. I don't know why that is, but it seems like there's two things that, that I feel like I talk about all the time. And that's this, this anointing of David as well as the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower, whichever way you want to call it. And I don't know why it comes up so often, it seems, but I just preached this a few weeks ago. And so here we go again with this same story of of Samuel being sent to anoint one of the sons of Jesse in Bethlehem because God has rejected Saul. And he, he tells Samuel to buck up, come on, get over it, let's go, move on, I've rejected him, it's okay, Now I want you to go do something for me. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel's response is, how can I possibly do this? Saul's going to kill me. If he hears that, I'm going to go and anoint somebody else. And you know, it's odd to hear Samuel say that in many ways, because Samuel is a guy who, who, right from the beginning, was not afraid of things, it didn't seem. He was given a word by the Lord when he was in the house of Eli, and he gave him that word very faithfully, even as a boy. Uh, even though it was a bad word, against Eli and his family. And so it seems that, that Samuel, is a, he's a frightening character at some level, it seems, because he shows up in Bethlehem, and when he gets there, the people, it says they come to meet him trembling, and they ask, do you come peaceably? This is the guy who's afraid Saul's going to kill him. Well, God's given Samuel a mission. He's given him a job to do, and, I, and I'm pretty certain, right? <laughs> That if God gave him the job to do, then he's going to he's going to fulfill the task that he was given to do. He's going to he's going to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. It's there's no there's nothing to fear about being killed by Saul on the way, because it, it's God's mission that he's on in this. And it, it, God has a, a particular job for Samuel to do that literally no one else could have done. That required um, Samuel to be the one to do this because he's the one who's going to anoint the successor, and the successor is his successor in many ways because Saul's just this transition figure uh, to the kingship and away from priestly leadership. And so here we've got Samuel now goes, he goes to Bethlehem and, and says, Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. And he gets there and he tells Jesse, "Here's the deal." and so he, he looks at, at one of his boys and says, "Surely this is the guy. he's the big good-looking guy, the one of the, the sort of strong, strapping young guy." And, and God says, "No, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, and in many cases, it's a good thing that he does. Because God uses so many people who, who otherwise have, have, would not have raised themselves into the, the eyes of the world at all. They would have made no impact at all had it not been for God. And God's Spirit being upon them and, and the one he called, the one he anointed and the one that he equips being sent out. And it doesn't have to be the guy who everybody thinks should be the guy and so that's that's Samuel's problem and he sees you know a couple more of these guys and he's thinking well surely this is the one and God says nope that's not him either no that's not him either and finally he gets to the end of the line and says you know hey I was supposed to come here and anoint one of your children one of your sons to be the next king of Israel have we gone through them all and Jesse says well yeah you know there's the one in the field I didn't even think to bring him in here I left him in the field. Yeah, we can get him, I guess. And and Samuel says, yep, got to do that because we can't rest until he gets here. This is the job that I've been given to do. And so David comes in. The Lord says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And so Samuel did. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So Samuel has gone back to another place, and he's going to stay there in Ramah. And Ramah is the place from whence. The tears of Rachel come. Um, It's it's the 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 place where she lost a son, right? She loses her children there. Ramah, the voice of Ramah, Ramah, uh, Rachel's voice weeping for her children from Ramah, which is the place of of Rachel, and so Samuel fulfills the work that he was given to do. And anoints David as the king, but, but it's something that we, we get easily caught up in is the appearance of our eyes. What do we see? And, and we frequently make mistakes because of what we see, and largely it's because of what we don't see. What what I've noticed more and more and more, and, I, and maybe I'm just noticing it more, and it's always been the case, but but in America, for instance, today, we are so polarized politically that, that people can see the same thing and not see what the other person sees at all. It's like those um, sort of illusion, not illusions, yeah, illusions that, that you sometimes see. That you, what do you see in here? Are you see in the face of an old woman or are you see in the voice of, face of something else? And so two people can look at that same picture and, and their eyes fall on it in such a way that they see the dark stuff or the, white, or the, or the light stuff. And, and if you're looking at the white spaces, you're going to see one thing. If you're going to look at the black spaces, you're going to see something else. I'm not talking about a Rorschach thing. I'm talking about a, a, an actual uh, drawing of something, but, but it depends on which part of that your eyes focus on as to what you see. And that's the way we become in America. It's because we we have these ingrained things that say, okay, I'm left or right, and therefore I'm going to see things through a specific lens. And I've talked about this before. If you read the book, um, Wizard of Oz, what you'll find is there's something very different there than is in the movie. When they come to Oz, the first thing you have to do before you come into Oz is you have to have a, a set of green spectacles locked on you, through which you're going to see everything while you're in the land of Oz, and therefore you're going to see everything green which is kind of what it says in the, in the uh, movie, right? You're going to see everything in Oz as green. Well, there's a reason you see everything in Oz as green. It's because you have a set of spectacles locked on you and you can't see anything other than green. And that, I think, is too often the way that we're living nowadays is we see things through a particular lens and we're unable or unwilling, one or the other, to take those lenses off in order to see things so two people can read the same thing, come, part, come away with a completely different understanding. And it's because we're so polarized by politics. And the further and further we get away from, uh, from the Father as being the spectacles through which we see everything or through Jesus, then we begin to lose sight of everything. We begin to lose sight of our common humanity and so your opinion is is wrong simply because it's not my opinion and it's evil possibly because it's well not my opinion and it's not shared by the right people and whoever those right people are and so we we come to this thing and we need what we need i think more than anything else in america is for us to have our eyes as christians opened to our own biases, because those biases lend, lead to confirmation bias, and we see only those things which confirm what we already believe, and we miss a big chunk of the picture. And that's what's going on with Samuel. You remember he's anointed the, the big, tall, good-looking guy in, in Saul who's head and shoulders above the rest of the people there, and so now our, it, it, he's going to overlook, and even Jesse overlooked his youngest son. He's good at keeping sheep. And then, you know, later when when the whole issue with Goliath comes up, what's the issue there? You know, what what is the confrontation? The confrontation there is over because the the brothers say, we know what you're here for. You're here for some evil intent. You're coming here to to be a spectator in this battle. And David says, it's not the reason I came here at all. But but we assume these things and therefore we make these value judgments that, that are actually worthless judgments because we're missing the truth. Because we've, we're so tuned our eyes to see certain kinds of things and ignore other pieces of information. And that's what happens here in this gospel lesson from Luke 14, or 24, sorry, 13 to 35. So you've got these two uh, disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're seven miles from Jerusalem. And so they're, they're walking and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. They were, their eyes were downcast. Jesus comes up and walks with them they don't recognize him at all it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he says what are you talking about and they stood still looking sad and then one of them finally said are you the only visitor to jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days i mean come on man you're coming from jerusalem too surely you know what was going on what everybody must surely be talking about today and he says what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) They said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was a Messiah. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So they're, they're, they have some insider information here, right? So they, they say that they they know, everybody knows what happened to Jesus. I mean, there's no way you, you could be a pilgrim to Jerusalem and not know what happened here, because everybody knows. But some of the women that we hang out with told us a different story. They said they went to the tomb early this morning and they didn't find the body. They did find a couple of guys who said they were angels, but that's it. And they said he was alive. We, nobody else has been able to verify that, though. And, and you know, The testimony of women wasn't considered to be valid. They were not allowed to be witnesses in court at that time. Uh, And so Jesus looks at them and says, You foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then he began to to work through the Old Testament with them. And he interpreted to them all the things the scripture said about himself. And so they begged him to stay as they got late in the day. They come upon the village where they were going and they urged him strongly to stay with them. Stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. And so Jesus was going pretending, at least, to go further along the journey. And they said, you know, look, it's way too late for you to continue your journey. Why don't you stay here with us? And, and they, genuinely, it's hospitality. But beyond that, he's, he's done something here to give them hope in opening their eyes to him. And so he, they, he takes the food, and he's not the host, but, but he takes the bread and blessed it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. And now these two guys are, can you see this? These two guys looking at each other like, did you see what happened? He's, he was here. I know he was here. I know that I didn't just dream that up. Didn't our hearts burn with us while we, he talked to us on the road when he opened to us the scriptures? I mean, Jesus is showing them from scriptures everything that has to do with him and proving that he is indeed Messiah. Not that he was Messiah. He is Messiah. And so they rose that hour and returned to Jerusalem. The day is far spent, but they went seven miles back to Jerusalem because they couldn't contain themselves. They had to share this news with other people that he was among them. and They found the eleven, and those with them gathered, saying, The Lord is indeed risen, and appeared to Simon, Peter. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And that's why we continue to celebrate communion week after week and, and that is he is made known to us in a spiritual way in the breaking of the bread we believe in the in in our tradition in the real presence of christ in the in the eucharist we we don't believe bread and wine ever become anything other than bread and wine but we do believe that if we compl- if we continue to keep his commandment to celebrate the eucharist that he is there mystically and spiritually in the presence of that and and paul talks about people who got healed and not who got healed but who died from it well if, if you can die from taking it that way then you can certainly be healed in the presence of the eucharist because there's a special dispensation of the holy spirit there in that in those elements and in the breaking of the bread together as those who believe so we've confessed our sins and confess our faith and then we come into the presence of god in in doing the in obedience to his command To break bread together in that way and and so we get now in the in the third lesson in that Acts lesson we're gonna see the same basic thing of of eyes being opened and in this case it's Peter's eyes Um, there's a man at Caesarea named Cornelius who is a centurion so he's a Roman he's part of the Italian cohort he's over a hundred men a devout man who feared God with all his household gave arms, generous alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. But the ninth hour of the day, so three o'clock, he sees a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? I mean, you get this big soldier who's over a hundred men and, and he's in terror of this angel who stands before him. And he says, your prayers and alms have ascended to, as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. So after that, he calls two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him and sent them to Joppa. So they're on their way to Joppa to get Peter, and Peter goes up on the housetop in about midday to pray. He got hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And, and it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. You don't eat reptiles. Let's start there. Um, so we know immediately there's something different going on with this, but it, but it seems like all the... Um, the, the, uh, all the other living beings, I guess is, is a good way to say it. So it's sort of like a, a Noah's Ark kind of a thing, but it doesn't say that all the, uh, all the kinds of animals. It just says all kinds of. And so there came a voice to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, well, I can't do that. I, I eat kosher. I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, don't call common. Happened three times and then the thing was taken up into heaven. So Peter, Peter, I mean, I I wonder what he's thinking, right? I mean, they're they're preparing him something to eat, and then God shows him this vision. Is he thinking at this moment, they're going to bring me a snake or, or a lizard? Or, I mean, what is he thinking? Because all he knows is God has just declared everything clean. And, and so it's, quote, kosher for him to eat. That's going to take some courage. I mean, you're stepping way outside of the, the laws of Judaism if you're now going to consider all things clean like that. But, but it's going to have to be that way in order for the Gentile mission to go forward because otherwise you won't be able to enter a Gentile household or eat with Gentiles break bread with them at all. And so it, it's, it's going to hinder the mission. But at this point, they don't see that mission that clearly they they see it as a mission to Jews and the Jewish diaspora all over the world. They're not seeing themselves as we we're going to go bring in the Gentiles through the proclamation of the gospel, and that baptism will be enough to to bring those people in and we know that because they dispute over this for the next long period of time but But it's seeing things as God sees God's seeing the the heart, and here what we're told is the angel tells. Cornelius that his prayers and his alms have gone up before the Lord, and the Lord has recognized him. He's heard him, and now he's going to send somebody to him. And so Peter has yet to get that um, word, really. And So he gets it in this strange way. While they're preparing his food, he has this strange vi- vision about rise, kill, and eat all kinds of animals on earth. We've got to come o- overcome sometimes the things that we see so that we can see things the way God sees them. So that we can see the most important things. We sometimes have to, have to stop focusing on the relatively unimportant things that are standing before us. And so we have to, to evaluate people and everything else in our lives by the standard of God, not by human standards of what do we see standing before me.